marry Joe DeLore to please anyone. to be back with another bonus episode and a very special guest. It's my longtime podcasting buddy, comedian Jesse Whitehead. Hi, Jesse. Hello there, Shannon. It is so nice to be talking to you again. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, You were on my old podcast, Stage of Fools, years ago, and you poor thing, we actually had to do it twice because there was a problem the first time, so I consider you to be a real trooper and a true friend, for sure. Well, and and the cards on the table, that first time, the the screw-up was all mine. Oh, no, it's miscommunication, it it definitely, I'm not trying to assign blame, but uh, you really rose to the occasion today, because I wasn't necessarily planning on getting this bonus episode out as quickly as we are, so you're really coming through in a pinch, and I appreciate it. Uh, I was so excited for the opportunity to talk about Little Women. Yeah, well, that brings me to the first thing I want to talk about to kick things off. What is your personal experience with Little Women as a story? Uh, Well, I read it somewhere around the age of 10 or 11. It was assigned in school, and it made a huge impression on me. Like, that whole period of American literature... Like, those books were very big for me when I was a kid. Like, I loved Louisa May Alcott and Jack London. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Are you excited for that CGI dog movie that's coming out? <laughs> Oof. I mean, beyond just the, the insanity of why is there a CGI dog, like, everything about it looks artificial, which feels really counter to the point of making a wilderness survival drama. That's all 100% true, but would it surprise you to know that I still cry when I see the trailer in the theater? No, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after encountering the book, did you see the classic 90s movie? Oh, yes. I definitely remember when the Gillian Armstrong movie came out. That was a, I was 11 years old, and that movie was a big deal. Like, for someone my age, pretty much anything with Winona Ryder was a big deal. That makes um, complete sense to me. Uh, I was doing a little searching around on eBay, and I found, like, some wild VHS box sets. Like, here, have a VHS that comes with a locket and a brochure <laughs> version yes. of Little Women. It was, there were so many gimmicks to try and sell VHS tapes because VHS wasn't a very good format. <laughs> Well, it's true. I'm sure our younger listeners are like, what the heck are these two talking about? They belong back in Little Women times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, oh, for the younger listeners, VHS was a black chunk of plastic that made all your favorite movies look like garbage. Jesse, that's not fair. Sometimes the movie, sometimes the chunks of plastic were not black. Sometimes they were by Nickelodeon and they were a disgusting shade of orange. How dare and they you? Came, and they came in a giant plastic clamshell. <laughs> Oh, good times. So uh, what did you think of the new movie that just came out? Well, I didn't know that anyone could surpass Winona Ryder as my Joe March. But boy, did Saoirse Ronan like, just completely outdo any expectations I might have had. The, the whole movie is... It, it's the best movie of 2019. I, I'll, you know, I, And there's a lot of movies that are in contention for that title. But like... 
after I saw it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop crying about it. It was so heartbreaking and beautiful and and gorgeous. And Gerwig just brings it to life with all this passion because, you know, the book is 150 years old, so it's too old, not old enough to sound like poetry, but too old to sound contemporary. So it could sound very formal and stilted, and she doesn't do that at all. Yeah, it really is masterful. It's kind of like... I've said this a few times to uh, Zach, who listeners are also familiar with. I still kind of can't believe it exists. Like, it's such a good movie that I, I always had complete faith in the whole creative team. But I still, when I saw the finished product, like, my job was in my lab. I just could not believe it. I started crying when Joe and Lori began dancing outside the house. Oh. And I pretty pretty much didn't stop crying for the rest of the movie. It was just so beautiful. Yeah, and it's also so funny and wonderful, and it is quite true to the book. But I think um, one of the biggest changes overall that I really enjoyed and I think resonated with a lot of viewers uh, were the changes to Professor Bear as a character. For one, he's quite a bit younger than he is in the book when he's supposed to be in his mid-40s. Which has always, to me, rung a little, mm, not crazy about that. Yeah, of course, it was a different time. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think it's anyone's favorite thing about Joe and Bear's relationship. And even in the 1994 version, when Gabriel Byrne plays that character with such grace and genuine warmth, um, it can feel like a little bit of a mismatch compared to Winona Ryder and Christian Bale, who have like this insane chemistry to the point where the movie stops making sense because you're like, wait, but why aren't they together? Um, well, it just uh, that it sort of touches on, uh, I think, my favorite thing about Greta Gerwig's movie, which is it gets as close as possible to saying that Joe is queer without actually saying it. Yes. And we are doing a whole separate mini-sode on uh, Little Women with a Queer Lens that I'm so excited for. I'm in the process of researching it now. I'm so glad you brought it up because we definitely are going to do a deep, deep dive into that. And I completely agree with you. Um, I also want to say in terms of changes to Professor Bear, besides like material things about they made him French instead of German, stuff like that. Um, I think they sort of shifted the nature of his critique of, of her writing from being like, this is an appropriate subject matter to the style you're writing in does not reflect the full scope of your talent. And I think that that resonates with modern women a lot more than this like patriarchal guy who comes in and is like, what you're doing is wrong and bad. And, and even in the new movie, he still comes across like he makes his point maybe a little too bluntly. Oh, I don't like, know. I was so sold on when she's like, the world will just forget you. And he's like, I'm sure it will. Like he was such a cool customer that that really won me over. That I enjoy because it's so frustrating when you're trying to argue with somebody and they just are completely acquiescing to all your points and you're like, I wanted to fight about <laughs> yeah. this. That's why um, he, it, I think in that moment it showed that he really is the opposite of Lori because Lori and Joe would have fought back and forth screaming and yelling until they were a horse and no longer able to speak. 
Um, but he really does have the ability to, in his own way, kind of diffuse the situation. Whether or not Joe can handle that is a whole different conversation. Um, but with the the image of Bear in the new movie and as he was in the book in our minds, um, I want to kind of get into why Professor Bear as a character exists at all. Um, if listeners have been following along with our previous bonus episodes, then they know that almost every character has some sort of real-life figure in Louisa Malcott's life who they're either directly analogous to, like the members of the March family being the members of the Alcott family, or a character like Lori, who's sort of a conglomerate figure of different men who were really important to Louisa. Um, but there isn't really an equivalent person in Louisa's life for Professor Bear. She did have a few romances in her life, and we'll get more into those in the episode where we talk about, you know, queer culture and little women and Louisa's sexuality. Um, but overall, I would say there isn't really a real-life person uh, that Professor Bear is meant to represent, which sort of makes it interesting for us as fans of the story to kind of peer into... Well, not to sound rude, but why is he here? <laughs> well, he de- yeah, you're right. He doesn't represent a, a real-life person from her life. The element of her life that he represents is uh, artistic compromise for the sake of commercial publication. Yes, and th- let's get right into it with the history of, you know, the Little Women book. Well, why not Joe and Lori? The short answer is... Louisa was going to be Louisa, and she did not like other people telling her what to do. Um, She was so reluctant to even write Little Women in the first place, but she recognized that there was a need for books for young women that were actually good and not just like pulpy or sermons, basically. Um, And so she, she wrote the book, but she wanted to do it her own way. And she was frustrated from the start that the publishers were really pressuring her to make it so that all the March sisters would be married at the end. In her own words, she called finishing the story with all of them married, finishing it in a rather stupid style. So uh, she said she didn't understand why people talked about getting married, quote, as if that were the only end to a woman's life. So I think we really see her politics coming through here. You know, she came from this progressive feminist family, but also her personal beliefs about her own life since she was an unmarried woman. And I really do believe that it was in large part by choice. Um, Maybe just because the right person, be they man or woman, never came along. But either way, she was not a, you know, reluctant spinster, so to speak. Uh, And I thought this was, I always think this is so interesting when I think about the book. Because as we all know now, as I've gone over it many times, it was published in two halves. After the first half was published, readers, and you know, it was so popular, readers wrote into Louisa in droves and droves saying, oh, please get Joe and Lori together. Oh, I want Joe and Lori to get married. Proof that fandom has always been terrible. Yes, that is exactly, oh, Jesse, this is why I'm so glad I had you on, because Jesse and I have both had our fair share of fandom tussles over the years uh, that we've, and ones that we've bored witness to. It really does 
seem to echo like modern fandom culture. Yeah, it, and 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 that's was certainly uh, not unique to Louise May Alcott. Charles Dickens put up with a lot of that too. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, because his stuff was also uh, published in in serial form, and so people would constantly wait, you know, around for the new copies uh, to be delivered, and they would scream like, "What happens to Little Dorrit?" <laughs> and then Charles Dickens would have to be like, "Get a life!" <laughs> oh my gosh, that sounds like a Hark of Vagrant comic, but it actually happened. It does. It's perfect. <laughs> Oh, I'm definitely going to link to uh, Harka Vagrant in our show notes blog, because I feel like that's something our listeners, as fans of classic literature, would really enjoy. I Every time I see a Harka Vagrant comic, it makes me laugh out yeah, loud. Yeah, for those who don't know, that's a comic by an artist named Kate Beaton that frequently references either classic literature or historical events, and it's really, really funny and accessible. Uh, when I worked on a project uh, involving Wuthering Heights, I constantly went to Harka Vagrant to find Wuthering Heights and Bronte-related comics because there's a lot of really good ones. But I mustn't get sidetracked because we have so much to talk about with <laughs> Professor Bear. Well, as for these fangirls, uh, Louisa called them, quote, the little gossips. Uh, I think she, you know... Because Joe originally was Lou and she really was so much a version of Louisa, I think that's part of the reason Louisa felt so resistant to the idea of getting Joe and Lori together. Besides the fact that I also believe the characters are genuinely romantically incompatible. Um, but I think she really, since she so saw herself as this woman and she did not see any of the men who inspired Lori as a romantic fit for her she just could not do it yeah and and uh when joe says to Lori, we'd kill each other i was like yes, yeah exactly that's the thing like i've really never been a joe and Lori shipper because i think that uh joe is absolutely right uh, but so, and there's nothing wrong with just being really deep friends with somebody. Yeah, and I think their friendship is really beautiful, especially when you think about how it's sort of to go back to that queer lens. It's sort of like Joe gets a chance to act out some of the more masculine aspects of her character by like having a brother, and Lori gets to submit to this matriarchy that Marmy presides over and indulge in the more quote-unquote feminine aspects of his character with, you know, pageantry and costumes and things that are more maybe, especially for the time, considered to be womanly because of being soft and emotional. Boy, you know, all, all this talk just makes me realize I need to go see it again. I've already seen it twice. I need to go see it again. Yeah, I've seen it four times, and I'm still like, oh, maybe I'll catch it again before it leaves the theater. Oh, the, the I think the only thing I've seen four times was today was my fourth viewing of Cats. Oh, my gosh. Well, that is a whole other podcast for another day. That's, that was definitely... That's a very different podcast. Um, so, setting aside why not Joe and Lori, let's look at why Professor Bear. You know, let's, let's come up with some positives instead of some negatives. Let's talk in the affirmative, because there are some really compelling arguments, I think. Obviously, I think the biggest one, and I'm sure it jumps out at both of us right now, um, is that he is someone, especially for the time period, who sees Joe as a peer and treats her as an equal. 
And he is supportive of her, especially in his criticisms about, like, I know that you're more than this. Yes, he takes her writing very seriously. How eloquently he expresses that criticism, I think we all agree, varies from version to version and interpretation to interpretation. But yeah, he takes her writing seriously. Um, this was the one that, this was the thing that really got to me. Um, the Plumfield School is a joint endeavor between the two of them. Like, it really is, like, they something they work on together. Joe has a leadership position in it, as well as her husband. And um, I had never thought about it this way before, but one of the books I read points out that this would fulfill Abba Alcott, a.k.a. Marmee's dream of actually getting to have a role at Bronson Alcott schools. Um, Abba was very intelligent, very educated. She came from a wealthy family, um, but she had to stay home with the children and Bronson hired unmarried women, as was typical at the time, to work in his school. So you can sort of think of Plumfield as being the Alcott's two endeavors, the Temple School and Fruitlands, their attempt at a utopian commune, combined. And this is like, what if it actually succeeded? And what if Bronson actually put his money where his mouth is as a feminist and let his wife have a true leadership role in that community? And and going back and leading that back into Professor Bear and his depiction, he is very comfortable in letting women around him take the reins and be yeah. in charge of things. And that's a pretty rare quality, so rare that it had to be fictional at the time. True. I think he's also someone who we see, um, especially in this new movie, maybe like he really respects boundaries. Like he's not just the guy who's going to hop on Beth's piano and play Yankee doodle. Like he's going to be respectful of the family and ask about their needs and their feelings in a very sensitive way. And even in the book where it's perhaps not telegraphed that obviously, I think Louisa tries to show us that he's a uniquely sensitive man by showing him um, playing make-believe with the children and things like that, which would have been really uncommon for men at the time. I mean, fathers and Professor Bear isn't even a father yet at that point in the story. Um, so I think she's trying to show us that he's someone who is uniquely in touch with the more emotional side of his personality. And many of the men that, that Alcott wrote were were very warm and not at all threatening in their masculinity. You know, uh, Laurie, Mr. Lawrence, uh, you know, uh, Mr. March, like all of these characters are very noble, warm men who do not feel insecure around powerful women. Yeah, absolutely. And it's certainly... Um, depicts families where there would never be like the corporal punishment that was pretty typical for the time, which is something we've spoken at at length in other bonus episodes about like schools and education. Um, that's something the marches are shown as being really, really clearly against. And so all the people in their orbit kind of also fit into that worldview. Um, also talking about him as a German immigrant. Um, Louisa wanted to make Professor Bear kind of an outrageous match for Joe in some way, which is why he's an immigrant, because obviously the Alcott family, being as progressive as they were, were very pro-immigration, at least, you know, to an extent for the time. We can get into how 
pro-immigration views back then would certainly differ from pro-immigration views now. Um, but You kind of have to judge on a curve. Yeah, let's say overall, taking this with a grain of salt, for the time they were considered to be, you know, extremely to the left. Um, and so not only do you have that sort of political aspect of him being an immigrant, which is something that she would have really wanted to introduce into the world of the story. Um, she herself had traveled through Europe, including through Germany, um, after the end of the American Civil War. So she really loved Germany. She visited a variety of different cities in Germany. And this is a time when Americans had a lot of romantic notions about Germany, sort of in the way I feel like we do now about France, which is why it's kind of funny that the 2019 Professor Bear is French because uh, when Americans during this time period thought of Germany, they didn't have all those post-World War One, post-World War Two associations that we do now. They were as likely to think of Germany, you know, as uh, the center of the arts. It was, um, you know, still a huge, huge mecca of things like opera and painting and in Joe's conversations with Bear, she references either directly or obliquely artists like Goethe and composers like Beethoven, Schubert, and Liszt. So definitely he also sort of represents the artistic world that Joe and Amy are so drawn to with their writing and painting. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So this is slightly off topic from what you're talking about, but something I can't stop thinking about Um we all know the classic uh, romantic movie trope of rushing to the airport <laughs> yeah. at the climax of the movie to 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 say tell someone I love you. Uh, did Louisa May Alcott invent this? I think oh, she might have. You know, it would be wonderful if it had happened in the book just the way it did in the new movie. It didn't quite. Um, it, she no, walks it, it down didn't the road, quite. I think, and they have a long conversation. Like, I was going over the book while I was working on the script, and I was like, wow, this just goes on and on and on and on and on. Well, when you're inventing a trope, it's going to be in rough shape for the first few times you I do don't it. know if she invented it, but she certainly gave us a very lovely version of it. I completely agree with that. And I, I really enjoyed in the 2019 movie how... Uh, Meg and Amy got to tag along and scream with excitement. Yes. <laughs> that was a highlight. And also Amy being like, Lori, why aren't you getting the horses ready? <laughs> God, Florence Pugh was so amazing in that movie. Yeah. And, well, I mean, it was very, very funny, but also it was just a moment when they were such pure audience inserts because I was also, like, stuffing my fists into my face to keep from screaming so it just felt like really really genuine and great I, it was one of those moments that really pulled the viewers closer to the family i felt like for, for me the that whole ending the thing i i loved so much about it that struck me so hard was the the metatextual nature of it commenting on louisa may alcott's actual motivations for including bear and the, the, just the idea that like this has never been done before in any adaptation and i it i was just bowled over and i, I know i say i cried a lot at this movie but that was so real for me and so honest about like what it meant for louisa may alcott to get this published that i you know it, it became one of my favorite movies of all time in that moment and then you have the montage of the book being assembled which was just gorgeous filmmaking 
Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, I liked how it sort of commented on the fact that her arm was twisted into it by her publishers. But at the same time, it let their romance be a really authentic and genuine thing. You know, it didn't cut the knees out from underneath it because I think we're meant to still understand that even though uh, the book was forced to end that way, based on the epilogue scenes of the whole family at the school together and the fact that Friedrich is there and he's one of the family, um, that also Joe did get to finally have authentic love in her life and that she wasn't going to be lonely like she feared because that is something that comes from the book. You know, after Beth's passing, she realizes that she can't stay at home with her mother and father forever and that maybe she does want to kind of have a place of her own in the world. And like I said, I do think Louisa was unmarried by choice, but part of that choice could have been that no compelling candidate ever really came along. And there may have been times in her life when she was going through really hard times, which she certainly did, um, that she wanted that kind of support and companionship. So uh, I think another thing, the final thing I want to touch on about Professor Bear as a character in his origins because it wouldn't be a bonus episode of this podcast if I didn't name drop some other literary celebrity. Uh, <laughs> I was looking at the annotated version of the book today. And when Joe is describing Professor Bear in her letters to Marmy and Beth, she references um, Emerson almost directly. She basically describes Bear by like paraphrasing very famous writing of Emerson's um, and she says of Bear if greatness is what a wise man has defined it to be quote truth reverence and goodwill end quote then her friend Friedrich Bear was not only good but great so a wise man in that quote is Emerson um, and the quote, truth, reverence, and goodwill were how he defined what made a good person. And Joe says, those are the things that Bear is. So that really ties Bear back into something we keep coming back to, which is the transcendentalist movement. And it is amazing how almost every episode there's something that has influenced the story that's connected in some small or large way to transcendentalism. So... Um, if you missed our bonus episode that explains what that is, you can go check out uh, the first bonus episode, Meet the Alcots. It It is fascinating how much American literature from that time always managed to find a way to touch on that subject matter. That's so true, but also this is like a level of weirdness where it's not like they're just thematically connected. It's like... We lived next door to Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yes. <laughs> and then Frederick Douglass came over to hang out. You know, it's 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 not even you can't call them coincidences because there's nothing coincidental about it. These meetings were sought out, but it does feel sort of funny. It's like every bonus episode is an episode of another period where historical celebrities just keep rolling up to talk. <laughs> Oh, it's the Avengers of literature. Oh my gosh, yes. And I've heard that the new um, Apple Plus show is sort of like the rightful successor to another period. And oh, is this Wild Night or not Wild Nights with Emily, but um, the, the Emily Dickinson it's show? It's called Dickinson, I think. Um, yeah. I think 
Wild Nights with Emily is probably a more like legitimate take on Emily Dickinson's life, whereas Dickinson is meant to be kind of like another period where it's a little bit of a satirical look at like themes related to her life. But Louisa May Alcott is a character on it. So keep your ears peeled for an upcoming bonus episode. I'm going to be checking out her role on that series. Well, I might just have to check out Dickinson because I saw Wild Nights with Emily and I loved it. Molly Shannon plays Emily Dickinson and she's just wonderful in it. And I saw the trailer for Dickinson and I guess I'm not sure what the tone of the show was because it looked to me like a fake show from 30 Rock. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I thought it was supposed to be like serious at first, almost like a Riverdale type thing. And I was very baffled and sort of like, what? But then when I saw more of it and I heard from people who had seen it, like Jane Krakowski from 30 Rock plays Emily Dickinson's mom. Like it literally is like meant to be, I think, a pretty broad comedy. Louisa May Alcott is on it. And the only clip I've seen of her, uh, and she's played by Zasha Mamet, is um, her saying, I'm all about that hustle. So that's definitely <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have the to see this show. That it's being pitched at. So, and the thing is, Louisa was all about that hustle. This book would not exist if she weren't truly all about that hustle. So, uh, yeah, that pretty much brings us full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific! Oh, Shannon, thank you so oh, much for having me on. I loved talking, little Jesse, women. Jesse, thank you. you so much for joining me. Uh, so where? Oh, can oh I... quick question. Yes, I'm sorry. I I want to ask you because I know you're you're the Little Women expert. Oh, I wouldn't go that um, far, but I'm a big Little Women fan. <laughs> have you seen the the BBC miniseries with Maya Hawk? No, I haven't yet. I've heard really good things about it, but I've been so. I haven't either. I was hoping that I haven't had a chance. I was to hoping you could tell me it was good. Yeah, I've heard good things. Um, I really like a lot of people who are in the cast. Um, to be honest, it's a little bit weird to me how British it is. I think they filmed it all in England, and like I know a lot of the cast of the 2019 Little Women is British too, but it's not really the Literally same. Literally, all the Little like, Women they filmed it on location and stuff. No, no, the girl plays Beth isn't British. Oh, Eliza Scanlon, she's Australian. Really? Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I know some people were like incredibly upset about that. I genuinely don't care. I think it's kind of funny because Louisa put some sort of prejudicial stuff against the Irish in the original book that Joe is being played <laughs> by an Irish woman. Um, so I'm I'm totally cool with that. But no, I don't know. Um, I haven't had a chance to to check it out, but I did include it in our recommendations episode because, like I said, I've heard good things. Um, well, I definitely want to check it out because I loved Maya Hawke on Stranger Things. Yeah, she was so great. Definitely the breakout of that season. Well, Jesse, where can my listeners find uh, more of you? Oh, well, thank you for asking, Shannon. Um, I uh, host and produce a podcast with my best friend, Paul, called What Is It This Time with Jesse and Paul. And the idea with that is uh, it's a rotating format. Like one episode might be we talk about a bad movie. The next episode might be I do a long form interview with a comedian friend. Uh, I did one episode where uh, another friend and I, we exchanged favorite movies and then reviewed them for each other. Oh, that's so charming. Uh, I've, we've just recorded an audio play of a, of a script called Hospitality Suite, which I'm very excited about. It's been a dream script of mine to do for like 20 years now. And uh, so I'm in the middle of editing that. Oh, that's great. Um, well, hey, people should definitely check that out. If you're here, you probably enjoy audio drama. So you can uh, hit up Jesse the next time you need a fix. 
And that podcast feed also includes archives of our old show, What Do You Think, Paul?, where we talk about entertainment news from seven to eight years ago. <laughs> uh, and uh, we've, we're going to be recording a commentary for Cats eventually when that comes oh, out. Oh, Cats. It always comes back to Cats in the end. <laughs> So that's uh, What Is It This Time with Jesse and Paul. And if you would like to see me uh, do comedy and you're in Oregon, uh, check out CapitalCityTheater.com. It's a comedy club uh, in Salem. Uh, we're always doing stuff there. I do a lot of shows there. Uh, come on down. Come see a show. It's always going to be a good time at Cap City. Great. All of that will be linked on our website for those who are curious. Uh, so, Jesse, thanks again for joining me. I really had fun chatting with you. Thank you so much, for Shannon. It was wonderful to talk to you. And until next time, uh, this has been the Little Women Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, the-